guys, welcome back to Tribe of Unicorns. I'm your host, Kendra, and today I'm talking to Miriam Grunhaus. Miriam is joining us today to talk about her passion in fashion and her creative path and how she got there. So welcome, Miriam. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and share my journey with your followers. Thank you. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about your creative entrepreneurship history? Because I know you didn't always do what you do today. That's right. So I went to school for advertising design. I went to FIT. And after I got jobs at advertising firms or graphic design firms, and I loved it. But I was the type of employee that was there before the owner and stayed till after one left. And I had the key to the office or the alarm code to the office to shut it off. So I was extremely devoted and everybody was telling me, you work as if the business was yours. You don't work as an employee. Why don't you start your business? I was very scared. I was very young. And my father told me, I'll buy you a computer, a scanner, um, a photocopy machine, and you, we will set you up so you can start your business. And I took, I, I took that jump and that was about 30 years ago. And the first thing that I did was to take a piece of paper and I wrote down, I am going to make $100,000 my first year. That was my first day when I had no clients I had a computer that was gifted to me <laughs> and I wrote down, I had the audacity to write down, I'm going to make a hundred thousand oh, dollars. I made 99, I made 99,960 something. Check you dollars. out your first year. That's amazing. My first year, this was 30 years ago. So a hundred thousand dollars then was different than today. Yeah. Um, but it was, it, I loved it. I loved design, I loved marketing and I had amazing clients. In the beginning, I had a big variety of clients and slowly mm -hmm. but surely, uh, my, the, my path led me to pharmaceutical companies and it led me to internal communications with the, which then led me to compliance programs and to the compliance department. So a compliance department in a big pharma, what they do as far as marketing is teach employees that being ethical is actually good for business. Mm -hmm. It is by law, they have to have a compliance department and they have to have a programming and they have to prove that they have a program that teaches the employees about integrity and ethics. And I always loved integrity and ethics. My father was an attorney and we talked a lot about ethics and integrity at home. Right. So I, and I considered going to law school before I went to advertising and marketing. So I felt at home and I started working with major pharmaceutical companies over delivering. And what happens is that every time that one of my clients would move jobs. They would take me to the next firm and the <laughs> next firm. So I, I worked, I always say, I worked with every major pharma, but probably with three people. I mean, three main people, right? Obviously I would work with their, uh, with the other employees, but the compliance officers, they were the same people. It was just like one very long 25 year relationship that I had with the same people. Oh my gosh. And that was, 
Yeah, it was because I treated their business like my own. I yep. cared about them, you know, as family. And over, over you know, my, my main goal was always to over deliver, mm-hmm. to, to do for them more, to give them more value than they, that they were paying me. Uh, to the point that I had one year, a farmer told me, your prices are too low. You have to increase them because it just doesn't make sense. They have to uh, get estimates before they start, especially before they begin very big projects. They can't just give it to a firm over and over. So they would have to go and estimate out. And quite a few times, my prices were so low between the three that they would want me to be in the middle because that's what they... <laughs> hired at the end right so they would tell me no you need to increase you know and um but but that was it was 25 years of amazing work amazing relationships in a field that I absolutely loved until I hit adversity and when that happened it was exactly the time that my main client was restructuring and when the mergers and acquisitions happen or internal restructurings happen Mm-hmm. I would have about eight months to a year with no work because they couldn't give work until they decided who is the compliance officer. Is it from this company or that company? So I would have to wait it out. But because I was making so much money, doing so well, I it was okay. So in those eight months, I serviced some smaller clients. I did pro bono work. I took some time off and it always worked itself out. Mm-hmm. But this time... This last time, which was about five years ago, six years ago, uh, yeah, six years ago, I just was such a mess in my mental state in my personal life that I couldn't be without work. It was it, it was non-negotiable. I love to work, and I needed to be busy. And frankly, what I was doing it was numbing my pain with work. You know, I, I needed to be busy because I needed to numb my pain. That's all I knew how to do. I, I couldn't deal with my personal situation and I just wanted to be very busy. So I decided, okay, I'm going to start a new business because I'm an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and here I am doing marketing for other people. I know how to do marketing to start my own firm, my own, my own business. And I said, okay, what is creative that I know nothing about that would keep me so busy that I can get in and start a business. And I said, great, I'll go into fashion. (laughs) So I started my business with handbag design and I very soon fell in love with it. I fell in love with leather, understanding leathers, working in Italy, importing, exporting, got my handbags in stores. But I very soon realized that people, women especially, they wear bags based on the brand. Most most women, right? If it's if right. you're selling a because my bags were about three hundred dollars, so they were expensive bags. If somebody's gonna spend three hundred dollars, they want that brand recognition. They want the coach logo, or you know, they they didn't want a no name and pay three hundred dollars. Right. And I saw that I didn't. These I saw that I didn't have the money to bring that brand recognition that I needed to justify the three four hundred dollar price point, but they were expensive because the the quality was high and the leathers were expensive. Mm-hmm. 
So I tried one, one dress design. I made a hundred dresses and I sold them in about 10 days. Uh, literally people were stopping me in the street and asking me, where did you get this dress? And I said, <laughs> I designed it, you want it? And yeah, and the, I sold a hundred dresses like that. Oh my gosh. So yeah, so then I, I started learning more about design, uh, going to Italy, designing my clothing there, making it there. And what happened was very interesting because two years later, I looked back and I said, I have zero fulfillment from what I do. Mm -hmm. I'm in 40 stores, I'm doing well, we are profitable and I hate it because I'm not really a fashionista. I am simple and I was not feeling connected to, to the fashion business, which is brutal. It's yeah. a very, you know, it's a very difficult business and I'm not like that. So I was like, mm, I'm working with people that are so cutthroat. I don't even care so much about clothing. Um, and then I realized that I forgot something very important, which is to know my why. You know, mm, when I was yes. doing the ethics work, I knew my why. Um, but when I started doing that, it's not a why to be busy beyond, you know, to numb pain. That's not a, a why for that specific business. I right. could drive Uber and be as busy, right? There, mm -hmm. But what was my why in fashion? And I did a lot of thinking and I realized that what I wanted was to be around other women. I wanted to be around women that were also going through adversity, that were also in their journey of healing. And I received, during that same period, a friend sent me a YouTube link of this Thai man who were describing the Japanese art of Kintsugi. And the Japanese art of Kintsugi is about mending pottery with gold, right? They, they mend it with lacquer and then they decorate the bricks with gold. And the idea behind it is that we are not garbage because we break. We can put ourselves back together. And when we do the work and we put ourselves back together properly, we are more valuable, unique, and strong, stronger than before. I love And that. when I saw that video, oh my God, when I saw that video, I was, I want to be Kintsugi. Yeah. You know, I want to be this beautiful shining role model and show people that there is always hope and that there is healing and that we don't need to be embarrassed by what broke us and that we can wear our scars like a, a badge of honor right. so i i usually do things a little different than than most people maybe i'm a little bit of a rebel but instead of going to therapy and deal with my wounds I wanted to do a research project and find out how women who consider themselves thrivers today, mm -hmm. who had faced adversity, how they healed. Oh, that's and one I of my questions. <laughs> so this is your process of healing. Yeah. That is how, that was my process of healing. It was to find out what they had in common. Do mm -hmm. I have what it takes? Did they all do the same thing? What was the process? Yeah, I had to take a sip. So I, 
started interviewing and I'm telling you, God brought me, I, be, I believe in God, but call it whatever you want. Um, the people to interview because I started meeting these people that there is absolutely no reason in the world why our paths would cross. Right. And I started interviewing them. Uh, the interviews was just like we are talking right now. It would be Zoom calls and but or phone calls. But I didn't uh, I didn't share these videos with anybody. It was just for me. And then I was I would listen to it again. And I wrote blogs, I wrote their stories, and each blog was a two-step blog. It was one was their story, and the other one was the lessons that I learned from the women. And I created a repository of sorts of what I learned from all these women. Mm -hmm. And I started noticing something incredible, that the major steps that they took were exactly the same. It didn't matter that the women were from different ages, ethnicities, looks, financial status, education, everything was different. Even their diversity was different, mm -hmm. but the steps that they took to heal, they were the same. And they were the same steps if you would look at metaphorically with how you mend a kintsugi pottery. Wow. And when I, when I realized that I was blown away, I started implementing everything in my life and everything started feeling much, much better. Um, last year, I wrote a book called The Heal with Gold, the 10, nugget, the 10 Golden Nuggets to Healing Your Mind and Soul, which were the top 10 things that all these women had in common. I started interviewing women live because I wanted other people to, to hear from them firsthand about their journeys. I started interviewing men as well. So I have a show, I do it once, sometimes twice a week. And, um, and now I'm creating a course and I'm teaching the actual steps that all these women took. And we are also, I'm also teaching in the course how to make kintsugi, like real physical kintsugi with ceramics. Mm -hmm. And it's been, it's been an incredible journey, incredible journey. It's of, amazing. Of finding myself and yeah, connecting with amazing people, true heroes. What a story, my goodness. <laughs> so it seems like your, your thirst to learn it's like a common theme. Where does that come from? Wow, well, that's the way I was raised. I mean, I'm the daughter of two very academic intellectuals. Mm -hmm. um, my father has two JDs and um, I just saw my mother has a, a master's, a, a BA and a master's. In Brazil, you don't need a master's. My mother has a, a two BAs. She has it in psychology in law, in Brazil, the system is a little bit different. It's not BA and then law school. You go straight to law school and then you go straight to psychology. So she, she has that. Um, my, I always saw my parents with the book and I was encouraged always to learn and be thirsty to find out more. And, and always, my father always, always told me that we learn from all people. We can mm. learn from anybody so you respect everybody because every single person that you come in contact in your life have they have knowledge that you don't right so open 
you know, so he always told me to open up my, my eyes and, and close my mouth and listen and, and learn. And that. yeah, very, very much the way I was raised. It's so interesting because so many people go about their lives and create businesses and become entrepreneurs and try different things. And the learning part is almost like obligatory. It's not, it's not some, but you almost use it like, like it's your fun, you know, like it's the, the joy you get out of starting something new is all this, you know, when you were describing the process of creating your fashion line and going it, or even the bags and learning about leather and it, it just seems like where people would ordinarily be scared of all this information they don't know, you seem to do the exact opposite and thrive in that. So interesting you saying that. I absolutely love to learn. I am very courageous. Mm -hmm. um, worst case, I'm going to fail, but right. failing doesn't scare me. I pick myself up and I start something new. Uh, but it's interesting that you're saying that because um, I was reading this morning, uh, Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. And I, you know, I was in chapter five. And in that chapter, he talks about knowledge. And it talks about knowledge for the sake of knowledge is a waste of time. People say that knowledge is power. And he was saying there, knowledge is not power. Applied knowledge is power is power right and i was reading that this morning and in essence this is what you were saying i am i am not um a learner for the sake of of knowing random stuff right i, I wish i had a little bit more interest in things that i i'm not gonna do but to me that if i can't put that knowledge into practice then it's somebody else will learn it i understand that i can't learn everything Mm -hmm. So I try to learn things that I know that I'll be able to use it. So actionable knowledge. So very interesting that you said that. And I just read that. And I didn't, and I, until I read this chapter five in Think and Grow Rich, I never thought about it that way. I just did it because I don't have time. I have limited time on earth and I want to use whatever I learned to do something with it. Yes. Oh. So it was, I love it. <laughs> it was it's such an amazing um, personality trait. You know, it seems like when you're faced with something, you don't run, you dive in and figure out, you know, yeah. you kept saying you wanted to know your why, but I also heard you saying that you needed to know how and figuring both those things out and, it, you know, interviewing all those people and understanding how they made the changes that you were looking to make as well. And um, I think that's just so fascinating that you didn't just you know, fall back on watching other people around you. Like you really dug in and, and found the people that inspired you and figured out like, well, how did they do it? And, you know, yeah. to almost prove to yourself that you could do it. Yeah. I want, and I also wanted to see if they had commonalities because I wanted to see, is that a learned behavior? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I always considered myself very resilient and I am, I am very strong by nature, but you know, six years ago, I was hit really bad with a loss. I didn't know how to deal with the loss. And I just didn't know if I had what it took to overcome that loss. Yeah. And the interesting thing was that when I was interviewing people, I realized that every single adversity includes an element of loss. 
It could be loss of your dignity, it could be loss of money, it could be loss of a family, of a, of a loved one. But at the end of the day, you have loss. You have loss of time, you have loss of experiences, right. but there Identity. is always an element. Of, yeah, there's always an element of loss. And we don't learn how to grieve for the losses that we experience. Yeah. And, it, it, and it's important for life, you know, even in, like in business, I closed one business, I started another one, there was an element of loss, you know, I still have thousands of letterhead paper from my first business. And every time I look at them, I feel sad, you oh. know, because I loved what I did. So there was an element of loss, there is always loss. Yeah. Um, and we're not equipped with how to deal with it. No, no, it's not something that we're really like, even, you know, growing up, it's nothing you talk about. Um, I have two children, you know, it's nothing that it's even a comfortable conversation and it kind of should be, it kind of should be much more um, exposed. And there's such, you know, to have someone go through a loss and, and feel that they can't share it and they can't talk about it. Um, you know, you can't get much more lonely than that. Exactly. I interviewed a woman whose husband had committed suicide and day one, his family, like his parents had decided that, no, that it would be a secret. So wow. she could never talk to anybody about it. But for 10 years, she didn't tell anyone, including her kids, that the father had committed suicide. Wow. And she said that it was a very different type of grieving because to grieve for somebody who had an accident or was sick is one type of grieving. When you grieve for somebody who committed suicide, there's also a lot of anger involved. How did you leave me? right? How did you do right. that? But she couldn't process that because she was fake grieving for a right. different type of death. So at 10 years later, she decided she's telling everybody the truth because she was really physically getting sick. And once she opened up, she was able to heal herself. She was able to then grieve. And then she was able to see how people received her well and didn't judge her as she thought that they would and her kids took it well also. So everything changed for her once she accepted the, the truth. I also interviewed a woman who is a celebratorist of death. I mean, she does eulogy, you know, she does the, the death ceremonies, okay. but they don't call it funerals. She call, they call it death ceremonies, I guess. She's a life celebratist. I don't know, she's from okay. Australia and it was, such an interesting conversation because she sees death in a completely different way. She spends time with the family and she says, Miriam, death is love. And she was trying to explain to me. And I said, you know, we don't speak about that. It's right. that thing that we don't talk about. My father passed away last year and there were times that he wanted to talk to me about, you know, my, my end is near. And I'm like, no, it's yeah. not Poppy. Uh, right today mm -hmm. I regret that I didn't have those conversations yeah um, so it's um mm -hmm. so you were talking about your why do you feel like your why changes all the time or is it does it change in seasons depending on where, where your your efforts lie or what happens around mm -hmm. you I think that your why your your life why right your your 
purpose mm -hmm. changes according to your values and your values, your personal values may change throughout life as you mature and different things are important for you. And that's why it's really important to always make sure that you're living congruent with your values and know what they are. Right. Um, I think that there are people that their values may change more often. Mm -hmm. I think that for me, my values have been very um, much the same. Ethics and integrity till today for me are non-negotiables. Yeah. They are probably at the top list of my values. So even though I was, so I was working with that for a lot of years. Now I am not directly working with that, but I live with those values and my business. I do my fashion is fair trade, my yeah. uh, clothing, you know, I, I do I recycle, you know, we buy back clothing. We, mm -hmm. we give a credit to people that ship us back clothing that they don't want anymore so we can donate to, you know, I, I work, my company is, is, is done in a way that takes ethics and integrity very much to heart. As far as other values that I have, I mean, I believe that my purpose for being in this world is to give people hope that there is always a way to mend ourselves back together, to give the hope, the joy after adversity. Yeah. So now I'm living very much congruent to those values. Oh, I, I, that resonates with me so much. It's really the way I feel as well. I think, you know, the, the people that are put in our path, um, if, if I could affect somebody's life by just living my truth and showing them that, you know, I can get through this. You can too. Um, mm -hmm. that's, that's why I'm here. Can you tell me a little bit? So you have a course, right. And how, how this all kind of applies healing. Yeah, yourself. So, the course is, yeah, so the course is coming out this month, hopefully in the next two weeks or maybe even less. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a multi-sensory course. I believe, you know, I'm very visual. You are a visual person. And I, I did some research. I would go into very big groups and I would post who considers themselves visual learners. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I would get flooded with answers. Me, 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 why, you know? And so if a person is a visual learner, as I am, and seeing a piece of kintsugi really helped me understand what my healing could look like, um, I thought that my course needed to be a, a multi-sensory visual experience. Mm -hmm. so, so we have the classes, which is me talking, and there are videos between five and 20 minutes, and we have worksheets where... I, I demand a lot. I mean, it's a lot of self-assessment and personal growth and digging in and going back sometimes to painful places, but to be able to yeah. come out of them uh, with a true understanding of why and, and what now and stuff like that. But I also wanted to create uh, an element of hearing. So I, my good friend from Hawaii, she's a German award-winning musician and also a healer and she does meditations, I asked her to create a Kintsugi meditation based on my course. So every module, we have a custom uh, meditation in which she leads you in that, depending of what the process is. If we're dealing with brokenness, 
um, then she, it's a meditation about brokenness and you're able to cry and let go and let it all out. And then when you start mending and curing and polishing and then adding the gold, you go into this journey of, of rebirth. Mm-hmm. So we have the meditation. And then I wanted people to do a Kintsugi piece while they were in each um, part of the module. When we talk about brokenness, we break a piece of pottery together. But then I also talk about, you know, when you, when you break something, and it's very cathartic, by the way, it's a great feeling to break something. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting, but you get a lot of good energy out or maybe bad energy out, but you get that energy out and you, there's an empowerment. Um, so I tell people, you know, think about all the sub losses, think about, give a name to everything that you lost that was never spoken about and recognize and give its recognition. So we go through the process of learning how to grieve and then re- learning how to rebuild. So we do that with the ceramics uh, project itself. So it's very interesting. Wow. So you're really hitting like every kind of creative I guess the way your brain would work in, in all sorts of different ways. Sounds amazing. So you'll definitely have to let us know when it launches. Um, I we're going to share all of your social links and where people can connect with you um, and learn more about your, your method and Kintsugi and see your beautiful clothing line. Um, so that'll all be in the show notes. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I just want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Your story is fascinating. And I, I usually focus a lot more on like the business side of things, but there's so much to be said for getting your head straight and then allowing your, your creation in business to happen. Um, and I think that's, that's what you've done time and time again. And it's, it's really inspiring. So thank you so much. Thank you. I want my pleasure. I just want to say one thing because sure. uh, for, on the business side, mm-hmm. on, the, on the business side, I think that a lot of people spend time getting that knowledge that cannot be applied in business and they're, you know, t- gathering uh, information, talking to people, but then they don't make the time to implement what they learn. Yes. And I think this is this is detrimental to anybody who is starting a business or growing a business is to make time during the day that everything is off and you're actually producing and staying accountable to your goals. So as far as business goes, I'm very focused and business oriented. I have my goals. I have what do I need to do to accomplish those goals? And I look at my goals every week to make sure that I do all the steps that I had to do in order to get closer to this goal. That's so such an important what I tell, point. Yeah. So what I tell people is go do, <laughs> go yeah. do, start, start working on your businesses. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, so many people, you're right. They just kind of like mull around ideas and take a lot of information in, but then don't actually set a plan to, to implement it. So yeah, it's a very important note. 